This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. And today I have a special guest that is joining me, Yashka Hodgson. How are you doing, Yashka? Hey, nice to meet you. I'm doing good. How are you? (laughs) A little better than I am, right? (laughs) A little rough start. (laughs) This is our like third try, but uh, I assure you it's going to be a fun part of our interview here where uh, this is an opportunity for you which is usually our guests introduce themselves to our audience out there, who they are, where you're at, and where you're heading. All right. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Joschka Pötkin, as you already said. Uh, I started working at Tasia Studios, a game company, two years ago, a little bit more than two years ago, and I'm currently there, um, the lead of the core tech team. Before that, I did something completely different. Uh, Namely, I worked uh, at the European lab for particle physics called CERN, uh, where I made my PhD and, um, yeah, worked on research on particle physics. When you're talking about particle (laughs) physics for the layman's out there, are you talking about computer simulation in particular or what exactly is that applied to? Uh, no, it had nothing to do with computers. I mean, of course, there's computer simulation involved in particle physics, but um, it is the fu- fundamental research on uh, the particles that make up all the matter that surrounds us, right? It's uh, basically what CERN does is it collides protons and does that at pretty high energies. And we look at whatever happens uh, when we collide them and what kind of particles are created in those processes and try to find new things. Like, for example, the Higgs boson, which was discovered a couple of years ago, which maybe some people have heard of if they're interested in uh, this kind of research. All right. Now you're going to have to bridge the gap. So how did you go from there to game <laughs> development? <laughs> so what happened here? So I'm, I'm at least uh, guessing that you were interested in games and then something happened. Yes. Okay. Yes, I was. Um, so, I mean, I, I played games all my life, pretty much. Uh, I'm also a, a very, very uh, enthusiastic D&D uh, player and dungeon master so there's a little bit of game design I guess in there and narrative design but uh, apart from that I basically all I did there was uh, programming and uh, working on build systems and setting up automation for different things working on monitoring and all of that of course has a big role in computer game development and I started at Tarsia because they had a job opening 
which uh, pretty much looked for exactly what I was doing, which was a DevOps uh, position. So I started there as a, a kind of build engineer slash DevOps and worked on their build system and automation processes. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much how I got into it. And uh, I, I, yeah, it's a very interesting ride so far. <laughs> it's very mm -hmm. different from CERN, but it also has a lot of parallels. What are, what are the main parallels? Because I'm still wrapping my head about you dealing with real science. And then, uh, <laughs> I mean, computer engineering, is that part of what you guys have to learn? Or, I mean, that's a whole different side of it, right? As far yeah, as but it's a, it is it is very different. I mean, so it's something that has been uh, ever more, becoming more and more important uh, over the years in particle physics, especially because you have to see... Uh, a lot of what we do at CERN involves a lot of simulation, computer simulation, right. and then comparing that simulation with data that we take with big machines, essentially. Um, and so a lot of software development is involved, and uh, especially automation is very important and making sure that things run very quickly. So there's also a lot of optimization, which uh, I guess also <laughs> has... Uh, some parallels to what we do in game development, right? Mm -hmm. Well, definitely. I mean, uh, game development as uh, industry itself is very technical. I think more technical than exactly. most industries, at least because we're dealing with real-time simulation. So things have to run and look good. I mean, at this state, right? So I would say when I talk to developers or anybody that's outside or coming in, they find it the most stimulating um, because we have a lot of game developers, especially engineers that uh, go out and um, go to other tech companies that are a lot more profitable. <laughs> but like they definitely lack the passionate drive that our technology within the industry is constantly striving for. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I feel like we keep a lot of engineers because of that sole reason. Do you find that to be uh, somewhat true? For sure. But that's actually one of the big parallels. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, at, at CERN, uh, what we, uh, because of the, the size of it, I, I mean, I don't know how much you know about CERN. It's a, a pretty big um, uh, lab with like 3,000 people working on site. Uh, and there's a huge IT department. We have a huge computing farm, or they have a huge computing farm. And they work with industry uh, leading experts from Intel, from Google, et cetera, et cetera, to make things run as quick as possible and basically operate at the very edge of that kind of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what, what I see as the parallel to games development. Like there's a lot of that as well. And um, I kind of, that's what I took from CERN and that I loved at CERN and now have again at Tasia because there is, uh, or in games development in general, because there is exactly this drive to uh, develop technology or, and bring it to a stage where it hasn't been before and, and kind of be on the bleeding edge and, and make it better. And yeah, I completely agree with you that that's like one of the big factors why it's interesting. And uh, what especially comes into play for game development compared to how it was in my previous job is that there is uh, this collaboration with very different disciplines, right? Where before it was mostly engineers and um, 
yeah, physicists. Uh, here I work with artists and uh, designers and uh, guys who do narrative design or audio guys, right? And that brings a whole new aspect to the whole game, which uh, to me is one of the big factors that makes it very, very interesting. So you're speaking on two different fronts of uh, bleeding edge. One is uh, with scientists and physics that feels important <laughs> and then uh, and then games is like essentially as entertainment but i do see like a return with the real-time simulation that we are providing other uh verticals are starting to finally take notice and utilize within their tech industry to kind of push their industries forward outside of just games and entertainment um now being a part of game development how do you see that future kind of playing out where it's gonna be beyond just games and entertainment i don't know how familiar you are with this but do you see the application starting to extend beyond just controllers and game consoles <laughs> yeah definitely uh i think there's already a lot of that actually happening and uh in scientific computing uh parallel computing is very very important and uh for that of course the games industry with graphics cards has brought in a lot of new technology uh which is being adapted slowly in science as well so i i've seen that happening while i worked at cern that there was basically a whole new uh, algorithm development or a new branch of algorithm development happening <laughs> making sure that we use those resources that basically uh, were introduced because the games industry pushed technology forward. Mm -hmm. And And I uh, think the same applies to other industries for sure. mm -hmm. So you've been two years and you're saying this is your first game development job. (laughs) Yes, that is very true. (laughs) How has your experience been? I mean, how hard was the transition? Did you feel like... It was tougher than it was or easier than it was, or were you just thrilled by the the sheer fact that you were working on a passion project? Um, it was kind of easier than I thought because a lot of what I was doing, in the, especially in the beginning when I started at Tazia, uh, was really working on only the backend system side. So working on the build systems and integrating tools and things that are very similar to what I did before. Um, now that I get a little bit more involved as, as the lead of our core tech team, where it's more towards the actual uh, game systems and and that kind of implementations it's becoming uh, more challenging and i have to learn much more things uh, very quickly Mm -hmm. so how has the dynamic been i mean at at cern were you were imagining teams back then too or was this a new skill set that was kind of thrust on you Um, I wasn't on paper. I wasn't really managing anything. Uh, I was in a position, however, where I was supervising other PhD students and I was working uh, with a few different teams that were sitting in different parts of Europe and coordinating a little bit between them. Like there was an actual software coordinator uh, that worked above me, but uh, that person didn't have that much time. So a lot of the day-to-day business of that fell onto me. So some of those things I definitely brought also 
uh, already into the job, but it's uh, again kind of a different level because now the the full responsibility is on me and uh, uh, yeah, like the the actual personal responsibility for the people that work in that group, uh, which I didn't have before because it was people that were employed by other people. But now it's actually uh, all on me. So that's definitely something that I'm learning as we go. So aside from the adjustment to the different industry, adjustment to people is obviously a, a key factor, right? So you dealing with scientists and physicists before and now dealing with artists. I mean, engineers are sort of on that level of thinking, but like now you're artists and designers. So like how, is, how has that dynamic been? Uh, it's been amazing. I, I really, I really like it. It's, it's um, before uh, at CERN. It's a lot of people who think kind of alike that come to a table. So there's a lot of there's still very, very vivid discussions, but everybody kind of has a very similar mindset, right? While here in the games industry, that is definitely not sure because. Problems are approached from many more angles than what I'm used to. And I, I really love that fact. It's uh, it's amazing to see how, you know, sometimes I struggle with grasping what other people tell me and the other way around. And then you have to come up with uh, more explanations of or different explanations of what you're talking about and make sure that everybody at the end of the day comes to the same page and, and everybody understands each other. So I, I really, yeah. It's it's an interesting experience and a learning curve for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm always interested too on the outsider's perspective because I've been in the game industry for a while now, so I'm, I'm very uh, very keen on how we look at ourselves. But uh, coming from that other <laughs> industry and especially talking to your colleagues, like, hey, I'm thinking of switching industries to games. I mean, I wonder what type of uh, feedback did you get or thinking on at least on that side of like uh is that even a possibility i know there's more respect now in terms of just game developers but it's not like quite there yet in terms of uh a viable option for a lot of scientists you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh it was a very mixed reaction i think uh, there were a few people who are more my age i guess uh, or our age that were Kind of impressed or or were intrigued at least by the whole idea that I would uh, go into games development and and try that thing that they always thought oh my god it would be really interesting to work there but I don't have the skill set for that um, but then there were definitely some uh, more senior people that were a little bit more critical and. Uh, I remember one person said to me, uh, yeah, okay, so you're going into games industry, entertainment. You know, other people uh, do uh, brain cancer research after they work here. (laughs) (laughs) Which, not condescending at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I think overall it was a very uh, positive experience that people were kind of more intrigued than anything else and and, uh, very supportive as well. Mm -hmm. Well, what's and again, like as you as you mentioned yourself, like the mm-hmm. the influence from from games industry uh, and and te- driving technology forward, uh, there were also a few who mentioned that. Like uh, one person brought up, you know, if you meet some very smart people who work on these uh, 
algorithms make sure that they know that there's also a job here maybe for them if they want. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think there's also a lot of people who are keen on, on kind of that cross-fertilization that is happening. Yeah, and uh, I think that's still like a blossoming side of uh, the industry that not a lot of people are aware of. Like these tech companies are starting to use game tech essentially to a lot of these self-driving cars, for example, they're using crowd simulation within the engine itself to kind of help get their tech to be smarter uh, until they actually test it out. Surgeons going to these like simulations, police officers, the army, they're all using game tech to kind of create a better virtual environment using VR goggles so i'm always interested to kind of hear like how because these are just small little nerd circles within the companies of of these tech right that they oh yeah you know these are innovative ways that we can think about this but it hasn't really broadened to this landscape where people at cern are aware of this huge industry potential because games have gotten and pretty far since you know the 80s (laughs) <laughs> that's true for sure uh no i i i wouldn't go so far as to say that they are not aware because there's they they are trying to do some collaboration at least um for example there was when i left i don't know actually where where it was taken but there was this idea of doing a virtual tour of cern uh, in virtual reality i have to be honest and i haven't really kept up to date with that project <laughs> but it sounded interesting back then And there was also another project that I thought was really amazing where they were uh, trying to bring augmented reality to, um, to basically their, uh, to the computing centers. You know, if, if there's a faulty unit uh, to very quickly identify where it is and and get hints, basically a heads up display, implementing things like that uh, are are things that CERN is looking into at least, or was looking into when I was there. Yeah. And that's like part of the game industry that I'm very excited about. Uh, making games and entertainment is super fun, but I think there are a lot of practical needs that uh, other industries can benefit from us. And like you said, yeah, the AR tech at its core is a game engine um, to make that heads up display work. So my other question to you is, uh, since being at Tarsier Studios, I think you guys announced your second game, right? And I can only guess that that's the game that you guys are working on. Um, don't need to divulge any details about that. But was there a particular reason why you chose Tarsia Studios over any other choices? Um, location. <laughs> Uh, because my my wife actually moved to Sweden. So that was a very, very big factor in choosing Tazia over, uh, let's say, any other random game studio. And uh, that I ended up at a game studio other than a different industry was also kind of chance. But as I said before, it's like driven by the, the interest in games development in general. I had my little like hobby projects when I was uh, not yet working at a games company. Now that kind of stopped <laughs> where I did my little game prototypes and, and things that never got anywhere, of course. But um, yeah, that's why I looked into different game studios in Malmö. And uh, yeah, then I looked at the Tazi website and I remember reading that job description and I was just, yeah, that's true. That's me. That's me. And I decided to apply. And I guess they agreed that I would be a very good fit for this kind of uh, position. 
That's great. I mean, I, but, I'm always uh, in support of that. Oh, my video just went crack. So I'm just going to switch to you. <laughs> I'm always in support of uh, like outside influence uh, from other industries to kind of help the industry grow. I mean, that's the only way that I've seen the industry have uh, have grown to the state it is uh, to, to continuously look at outside perspective um, mm-hmm. and bring it in to our business. Uh, even though it is for entertainment, I think there's a lot of technology being driven right now that are uh, really great case scenarios for for everybody. Um, there's a lot of like championing the game industry and the game uh, dev profession, <laughs> as you can probably mm. guess from what I'm trying to say. But like, uh, I, I also want to see your your perspective overall on how I know you came in more like a fan of the industry, but now being a game developer, like I wonder like what, what your perspective is in terms of like the industry as a whole and the state of where it is and where you feel like we can grow both positively and negatively um, and, and everything. Yeah. I mean, that's a very broad question. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I think um, about the, the state of the industry, it's hard to judge for me as well because I haven't been there so long, right? So I don't want to lean too far out the window. But uh, like w- one of the things that I see happening that is uh, not being done as much as it could be, at least in our studio, is uh, making sure that we don't reinvent the wheel all the time. <laughs> and with that, I mean... Uh, basically when we when we create our games keep in mind that it's not just for the product that we're currently working on but could also be something for the product that we do next um and i i see that also in some other studios i've talked with or uh, talks i've seen that people are moving towards that but they're that they still can learn a lot i think from other industries when it comes to that um and yeah, I, I think that's one of the main things that I'm, I'm at least concentrating on at Tasia at the moment, making sure that we do that. And I mean, for us, a big thing is, of course, we, we as you just mentioned, uh, we, we released Little Nightmares, uh, one pretty much just before I came. And that was the first game that we made with Unreal Engine. Uh, since then we've, or basically in the same week as Little Nightmares, we actually released the second game with uh, Unreal Engine, which is called Static, uh, which is a pretty small VR game uh, for PSVR. Um, and from that, we have learned to to take things the next step and make sure that we can use them for the next uh, projects. And that's what I'm working on pretty much, making that work as well as possible. And that's one of the topics, actually, we are discussing for our upcoming GDUX. Um, but, like, I, I kind of want to dive into it a bit, like, um, especially mm-hmm. with smaller studios. Bigger studios, actually, I, I feel have a better handle of this, where they yes, reuse absolutely. technology and build off of that, where smaller studios kind of concentrate on just getting one game at a time out and often exactly. with this press the restart button, which is... Uh, you know, if we try to really make sense of it, makes no sense at all, right? If we're trying to utilize a, a small team and its resources to its uh, 
best of its ability. So what what do you what do you factor that to be mostly? Is it just misplanning, or is this one of those things where a team just feels like they um, want to innovate and with innovation just has to just go back to the drawing board from scratch? Uh, I think a big factor is what you just said that it's it's kind of small teams, and because it's small teams the deadlines can become pretty tight. So it's almost a luxury to think about these things, right? Because what you have to focus on is to to hit your milestones and make sure that you get the stuff done that needs to be done to release the game in the end. Um, and while I, I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind, it's and like taking it the next step between projects basically is one of the things that we need to get better at. And as you said, like uh, bigger studios are definitely better at at that and they need to be better at that because they spend much more money on the games. But um, yeah, it's, it's a very important topic for small studios as well. And I'm also wondering uh, if, if things like open source could be something that is, um, that could play a bigger role in this than it currently does. Uh, because while you never want to uh, open source the entire game, I think there's definitely um, some merit in opening up systems that are reusable, like uh, going, going in a similar direction as Epic does with, with Unreal Engine, while working on smaller systems and, and uh, basically leveraging more of Unreal Engine and make sure that we share that across smaller studios. Mm-hmm. I feel like our industry is a lot more tight lip than other industries where, at least with movies, yes, they protect their IPs, but even when it comes to its success and box office numbers day one, they are a lot more vocal and transparent mainly because they can't really hide those things because it, they rely on the theaters kind of drawing their numbers. But it's something where games, unless the private companies want to reveal it, uh, we have a harder time to kind of gauge which games are doing well or not, which also makes it hard for us to kind of pitch our game within a genre that is obscure. And that's the more broader view of that, but on a smaller scale, well, kind of big scale, open source IP, like having technologies where smaller teams, especially, I, I feel like indie developers are probably more open to this idea of like sharing yeah. technology within each other and sharing ideas and best practices to kind of help everyone succeed because we're less competitive. Um, it's an interesting um proposal is this something that you just observed <laughs> just from the last two years because it, it it sounds pretty obvious but it isn't something that a lot of people are pushing right now which i feel is uh, at, at a disadvantage to all our the smaller time developers trying to create and invent new things on the daily and not learning from each other yeah yeah i think i mean it's it's something i've definitely observed in the last two years but i've always wondered <laughs> because coming from uh from physics where or especially cern cern has a very long history of of being very open about 
basically everything they do, all the source code for uh, all the simulation and everything is open source. You can uh, access the data that is taken by the experiments and basically on, on to some extent at least redo the analyses that are being published. Um, so it's it's for me, it's a very natural thing to think about, okay, how can we kind of make sure that more people benefit from the stuff that we do? And I mean, I also don't want to sound completely naive. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that if you do that too much, you you're, uh, you might hurt your own business from it, right? But um, I feel like uh, things like, for example, a, a build system, a working build system for Unreal Engine um, that can package for different platforms and is uh, flexible enough to, to adapt to different scale projects, basically and uh, distributes binaries within the studio and that sort of stuff. Uh, that's not something that we make our money with, essentially, right? That's something we can easily share and provide smaller studios with and, and, and simplify uh, basically their workflows. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's something that, that should be kind of straightforward, and I wonder why it's not happening more. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely headways made by software companies like Unreal, Unity, making their engines free for anyone to use. Yes. Blender, in terms of 3D software, has really pushed forward the last couple of years because they've been open source and free. And I feel personally yes. that they're kind of really dominating over 3D Max and Maya, the traditional programs that we use within a game studio. Those guys have been just so lazy on the laurels we're not we're not <laughs> sponsored by Autodesk, but I have to say the last five six years they just haven't been updating and innovating, and Blender has been uh, taking a lot of market share. And I feel in the next couple of years, because of them being open source and so openly available and so innovative, um, that they're going to take over that market really soon, if not uh, already. Um, I actually had a had a lunch conversation today about exactly that. <laughs> yeah, where one of our artists is basically saying the same thing: like, why why are we paying uh, and not using Blender instead? Because Blender has made so much headway and basically has yeah innovated where where Maya has been stale for the last years, and uh, it would make so much more sense for him to to move towards Blender. So yeah. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of headway being made in, in that. And, and there's definitely companies who do a lot of this. Mm -hmm. But it is uh, still only a few, right? It's it's mm -hmm. basically engine providers and then a few like Blender. I don't know if there's more. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the only ones that I can really think of right now. Yeah. Um, but those are proven case scenarios that within our industry – have shown how much improvement uh, to everybody's well-being and uh, should be used as an example for developers and studios to be more open about this type yeah. of stuff. Especially with the indie crowd. The indie crowd, and this is something I kind of want to have a more open discussion with you to kind of hear your opinion about that. You know, streaming is, mm -hmm. of course, becoming... It's coming, right? I, I think it's going to start mm -hmm. with really uh in real discussion with stadia i don't think it's going to change anything because uh at least in the states we have data caps <laughs> so it's, like, <laughs> it's kind of limiting to how much we can stream uh which is uh, hopefully they can reverse that law but um 
you know, uh, it's not to kind of downplay how the console guys have been doing streaming for years now. Just been um, probably just quietly uh, being successful with that model. Uh, I mm-hmm. wonder what your thoughts about how streaming comes into play with smaller developers and and the industry as a whole, because it will make an impact. We're just not sure how how big of an impact it will be. Yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, I, I think especially, like as you said, with, with Stadia, there's a lot of uh, things that can happen. Uh, if you if you look at what they are basically marketing with, where you can jump into a game with your favorite YouTube personality and and, and compete against them or play with them or whatever, somehow integrate uh, all that directly into the game. I think there is a lot of potential to completely change how we play games and, and and consume games, right? Because if you, I mean, there's so many people who tell me that they have watched a Let's Play of something, but have, have never played the game themselves. And if you, if you shorten that gap somehow, I think there's a lot of uh, potential for sure. Yeah, that is something... Uh pretty interesting as well um the latest trend with streamings and streaming stars have been that yes people the the product isn't about the games anymore they just tune into their streamers and that's the product right and um, unless there's a community around the game itself which you guys probably understand with little nightmares you guys build a community (laughs) people don't buy into the game they want to buy into a community that continues way after the game uh, and be a part of that community f- in the long term. And I am the one thing with Google, <laughs> and I joke about this all the time. They call it Stadia, and I feel ironically, uh, if they're going to stay, right? Uh, because with Google products, as you can understand, right, they 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 make things uh, as much as they like, you know quit on them um it -hmm. feels like stadia is gonna last a little longer than one of their like pet projects because of the potential that they understand but it's a hard business to get into and their leverage with youtube and being one click away from actually playing the game is very enticing and i hope that does solve what you're saying an issue where maybe it's more about access and less about their interests of actually playing the game because um, that is a barrier. I feel like the last few years have been building up and developers or small time mm-hmm. developers are having a lot of t- hard, a hard time kind of just like, how do we convert these guys, if any, uh, into pl- paying customers or even playing customers, you know? Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, the, the the communities that we build with the games that we make, uh, they they keep it alive, and it's important that we have them. Uh, but at the same time, like if if those communities then can also help us reach more people to actually play the games that we make, that that is like a, a huge thing, and and would be a big factor in in helping us make better games and and bringing it to more people. Mm-hmm. For sure. Plus, I want to see. I, I would love to see the impact of the the switch is very clear, right? People playing AAA console games on the go uh, 
felt like an obvious thing, but it took a while for the technology to catch up for us to actually achieve that. But now that with the streaming stuff, it gives us a really insane amount of access through our phones and tablets, playing the games that I would normally only play on my console. Um, how do you feel that will change people's perspective once it's a lot easier? The buy-in is a lot s- smaller. Like if you feel like uh, you, people who are not within our age at CERN, do you feel like that removes a certain barrier for them to actually get into games because now they don't have to buy into a $500 computer console? Uh, I'm not sure with the people that I had in mind when I said that. (laughs) I think that's not the specific problem that they had. Um, But I I think in general, for sure, and I mean, you you see that with the mobile market, right? Uh, There's so many people who play on uh, on their mobile phones that, would never have bought a PS4. Uh, and and if then through Stadia in some way you make the non-mobile games accessible for, for them as well, I think that will be a, a very big thing. Um, while, uh, I mean, the, the people at CERN who were saying what they were saying, it was uh, really just people who grew up with a very different uh, environment. Mm-hmm trying to solve um world issues <laughs> and less yeah about, or i don't know. know yeah no i understand i mean it's it's still like a although we have Fortnite, although i feel like in recent years game development is a little bit less obscure right uh yeah. the mainstream have really taken notice and respected in a certain way there's still like a Absolutely, lot of yes. old school thoughts about how games are just a toy um <laughs> which I don't think will ever be removed, but it's getting there. It's getting there. I feel in a lot of times. No, I, I completely agree about that as well. And like, uh, I mean, I also don't want to say that, that the scientists at CERN look at, at games condescendingly in any way. Like that was one opinion, right? I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, give the wrong impression here. Um, because for example, we also said at some point in the meeting and, and talked about, um, making CERN more accessible and there were ideas of, of building the detectors that we have for kids in Minecraft so that they can explore them. So, I mean, it's definitely uh, there that that people who are not gamers themselves perceive this as a big opportunity to reach more people and, and engage with them in a very different way than they were able to do before. Uh, so it's, it's a huge... Uh, it's it's yeah it has a lot of potential to to improve a lot of things and especially with virtual reality uh if i think about that as a as a as a having my physicist head on <laughs> if i if i think about uh stuff like cosmo cosmology well, cos, cosmology sorry mm-hmm. difficult word for me <laughs> for some reason if i think about cosmology or stuff like that and and you you implement uh some sort of virtual reality where you can explore the cosmos. Uh, I mean, that's just mind blowing. Like if I had that as a kid, I would have been just blown away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you're kind of brought into a topic that I always joke about, right? How we're, we're all this VR and AR talk is kind of leading us to the matrix and, and yeah. the running joke basically. is it's going to be powered by Unreal or powered by <laughs> Unity, basically, right? So as a real, real life scientist, a physicist, 
Like, how do you, if we just play into the sci-fi world a bit, how, how do you see games mm. kind of lending into that? Um, it seems like there's a natural progression there towards that type of reality uh, where people kind of live within a virtual world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I can think of uh, a lot of ways how that can can make it easier to reach more people like one way as i said before like where you where you have simulations and visuals that that make it clearer to the to the person you're talking to what you're actually talking about but then there's also uh, when you think about education um if if not every school can afford to have a, a science lab right with virtual reality suddenly that may be much more easy to acquire because all you need to do is buy some product and a few VR goggles and people can explore that sort of stuff uh, through simulation. And I, I think that's a huge thing uh, that will, that will hopefully be adapted by a lot of schools to, to make it easier for people to get into science as well. Mm-hmm. well what are the main restrictions that you feel um, when it comes to education, right? Uh, game development mm-hmm. itself have been at least in the states like the schools have been closing down left and right because they were mostly for profit it only is recently with uh with universities that game development and even uh pro uh gamers uh programs have kind of been popping up left and right is there any insight on at least that side of the world (laughs) on in terms of education (laughs) Because you're, you're obviously, at least with game development, pretty much self-taught. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so what, what is the landscape over there in terms of just somebody who wants to get um, into this? Uh, and you mean games development specifically, I assume, right? Yeah, game development specifically. Well, you can tell, you can tell yeah. our audience about how to be a scientist, but it seems a little tougher <laughs> for most people. No, absolutely. No, no. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, for, for games development, we actually in, in Sweden have a pretty big uh, school called the Games Assembly that is specifically designed to teach uh, game design, game programming, et cetera, et cetera to uh, students who are interested in that. And it's a, it's a very compact program of, I think, two years, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong because... <laughs> but I think it's a two-year program where they get basically a crash course in how we develop games and how to get a job in the industry. And we actually at Tazi have a lot of people who graduated from that school and, and they come with a lot of knowledge about how game development works and, and integrate very, very quickly into our teams. So at least in Sweden, that is something that's uh, happening quite a bit. In Germany, where I'm from, uh, I'm actually not so sure. I think there um, there is a couple of universities that offer uh, specific programs, but it is not nothing like here where you have a specific school that teaches that as far as I know, but I might be wrong. Well, I have to assume that you went to like a, to a college to get your degree to work at CERN. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not one of those uh, jobs that you can just walk in and be bright. Right. Uh, they do require some basic educations and <laughs> yeah, certificates. Do. Yeah. So going through that and then 
transitioning to more of a self-taught well for any future learning right it's, it seems like you're a pretty mm-hmm. bright guy who, who continues to learn and grow and like is there any try it. <laughs> is there any like tips that you have out there for developers or anybody that's listening like how, how do you continuously be so motivated because i i assume and i only feel like you you have a lot of hobbies on the side as well besides all this <laughs> I, I i do <laughs> i have too many hobbies i think um I, I don't know how how does that work i i have no clue it's just uh i i think it's something that comes natural to me that i'm just very motivated to uh try and acquire more knowledge <laughs> and i just use any channel that i find to do that um and yeah it's it's i think a lot of it is is organization and being sure to make the time for the things that you want to do. Uh, for example, I oh, on the weekend, uh, I used to, you know, scroll up and down my, my Steam library, not being sure what I want to play, but thinking I should play something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I just made sure that if I'm in that kind of mind space where I'm not even sure what I really want to do. I just do something else then and uh, yeah, keep monitoring myself and, and try to be productive uh, even in the times where I, I maybe don't initially feel like I want to be productive. Mm-hmm. But um, of course, that's also not something that always works. <laughs> yeah. I've spent the idle Sunday uh, staring at my computer screen and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Well, not I mean, even playing the game that I wanted to play. <laughs> that's a necessary balance. But it sounds like exactly. also, was this passed on or taught? Like, uh, so I have children, right? So I, I'm mm-hmm. the, the the key thing that I was wanting to pass on to them is just to be naturally curious. Um, yes, absolutely. It sounds like is this something that you picked up from your parents, just being curious and wanting to learn and always being productive. Where does this discipline come from? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's my, my, my parents make me go outside a lot and, and explore the woods and stuff like that. I think that's a very important part to, uh, as a kid, get naturally curious about things in the world. <laughs> and then that developed more into, uh, yeah, into all these kinds of different hobbies. Uh, like I, because of D&D, for example, I picked up crafting recently and doing a lot of like, uh, dungeon building and things like that and i think uh, a lot of skills that i learned as a kid because my my parents made me go to an art school to learn drawing and uh, painting and sculpting that all now suddenly pays off because hey this is super useful for this hobby i'm picking up right now so yeah it's it's uh, i think a lot of it comes from my parents who made me do things that maybe i wasn't motivated for at the time and I'm very thankful for that, for sure. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to <laughs> trying to do. Right? <laughs> but like, uh, what I found with a lot of successful people is that they uh, ha- have parents, or at least at a young age, were enabled to kind of explore as many things as they can and make it possible for them to go ahead and and pursue that passion. Um, is one of those things too that I'm trying to like instill in my children, like whatever you start, just, just finish it to an optimal Mm. level, just be good at it. And then if you decide if you don't want to move forward, that's fine. But at least you obtain that skill. 
And I feel a lot of children nowadays, at least in the States, they have a natural curiosity at first and interest, but then they never finish through with it. And which is a detrimental outcome, I feel. Um, (laughs) But I'm always curious in other countries uh, such as Germany or anywhere in Europe, um, how how children are naturally, you know, what's normal over there? Because it feels like accessibility and... And are, are are more encouraged um, than it is here. It feels more restricted here. There's, I feel like there's like a standard status quo that people are expected, at least in the states. It's like just go to school, do your your required electives, uh, because you know, uh, at least on over here, they're taking music out, they're taking all the electives out. There's not a lot of yeah. other things besides you know, math and science, which I, I feel like you, you are thumbs up on, but <laughs> as an artist, you know, it's very hard to find my place within school. I mean, what, what type of structure do you feel over there is a little bit more advantageous than, than we are in the States, at least what you felt was um, helpful for you and your upbringing. Yeah. So, so when, when like the, the art school that I mentioned, uh, I think, and I might be wrong because this is a long time ago, but I think it was at least subsidized by the state, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of that where, where the because it's because we have welfare states over here, uh, they try to to help bring these things into families by by subsidizing a lot of this stuff, which is of course a huge uh, opportunity because even when your parents aren't super uh, rich or anything, they can afford to bring you to those schools and make sure that you learn whatever you think or what your parents think <laughs> you should learn. Um, and I mean, also like I, I, I also picked up stuff that I really was bad at. Like I, I tried to learn the bass guitar and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So, uh, but still I had the opportunity to try it. And as you said, at least take it to a, to a level where I could say, no, this is not for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. even though I would like it to be for me. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it's, it's basically accessibility uh, to these kinds of things and structures, having them around is very important. And And what you say is, also something that I that I observe over here, it's um, if and that's more going into university actually, where uh, we since we moved away from or we we standardized kind of our um, our university credits um, and and modeled them a little bit after I think the Anglo-Saxon system sort of I don't know, but um, first. For the re- well, because of that restructure, uh, it also went more towards a very straight path that you have to take. While when I studied uh, a couple many years ago now, it was more encouraged to stray from your path and and take any courses that you think might be interesting. Right. So even though you might be studying physics, you might as well take a course in philosophy or take a course in uh, I don't know anything else, literature or whatever you can think of. So it's it's sad to see that in in Germany as well. This is uh, a direction it's developing towards. Yeah, and it's something within the states that I've noticed we've been doing for a long time. I mean, it's uh, because for a long time the taking out electives or like um, any type of different perspective of thinking. 
pretty much mm. creating cogs <laughs> to be very <laughs> good at one particular yeah. thing is becoming an issue since automation, as you may be aware, is a huge problem that's happening very soon where robotics mm. are kind of replacing jobs that can be done by robots, right? So what <laughs> I'm seeing is like a lot of people are not able to... So I, I'm only saying this to you because you have a dual career, essentially, which is a very yeah. unique stand to have uh, efficiency in both uh, different industries, right? And it's uh, over here in the States, there's just people who are trying to find a single career and they're just having uh, mm. troubles uh, adapting to the new changes of the technology and robotics being a, a part of it. Um, so I'm always curious about a global perspective on that and um, what ways at least how you think is <laughs> can be avoidable. That's why when I talk about games and when you were talking about education and people putting on VR and having more accessibility with the internet mm. enabling a lot of that, I feel can help a lot of this Absolutely. issue. Like just someone being able to learn guitar with someone like a master across the world is it's very exciting stuff that I, I don't think a lot of people really think of games as that type of potential. Um, not to downplay entertainment, which is fun, but no, exactly. I think yes. there's bigger applications that I feel like a, a physicist such as yourself can definitely appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny to me, man. Uh, I'm sure you hear a lot of slack, but like, I always I, admire I like people are doing like very admiral things about the world and changing things and it's like oh now you're working in games okay <laughs> which i think you know there is a huge upside but you know the bigger potential is a little later like the matrix and other things that no people not a lot of people think about how how games can really apply to their lives well but i, I mean i i also don't really agree with that though mm -hmm. like games can can have a big impact on on people's lives and and, and a positive impact on people's life right mm -hmm. it's it's an art form that can challenge people and that that can uh, make them think about things that they wouldn't think about otherwise it's it's I mean, it's the same as reading a good book or or watching a movie that makes you think about something, just that the engagement with it is likely even deeper than it is, at least with a movie for sure, because you are in the space and you do things in the world. And because you do those things, your actions have consequences. And with that, you can, of course bring a lot of uh, people, uh, no, bring a lot of things to people's attention that you might not be able to do otherwise. So it's, it's to me, it's a very important medium and it's, it's not just a, you know, just entertainment. Right. It's. Yeah. It's a fact so I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I definitely agree with you there because a lot of the tech companies, like the gurus that created Facebook and Twitter and all those, they got into programming mostly because of them trying to make, a game of their own like their first projects are usually game related and not making a word processor or something it's just, just naturally <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> making games is a little bit more fun than uh than the that type of application uh, yes for sure for sure so uh, this is actually the end of the hour where we did an hour of podcasting. Thank you, Yashka, for Thank joining you. us. 
And I told you it's going to fly by pretty fast. And it's also the time where I kind of hand the mic over to you to promote, to give attention to or shout out uh, to anybody uh, that you want to use this little moment for. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. So I'm going to shut up and uh, hand over the mic to you. Go for it. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a, it was a blast talking to you. And uh, I'd like to thank Merv to start with because he set, uh, set me up for this uh, podcast together with you after he was here a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, and yeah, big thanks to my wife as well, who keeps supporting me with my crazy ideas like, hey, let's do games development. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we thank your wife too, man. We need people like you to push the industry forward. And uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, look out for anybody listening. Yashka will be a speaker at GDUX.me that I will be following you up on. And uh, I look forward to your talk, man. So that uh, pretty much ends this hour with Game Dev Unchained. We're here every Tuesday. And uh, see you guys next week.